Mark 4:35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, he took him even as he was on the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they wake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? One author wrote, Big storms create big captains, and they destroy little ones. Trials, storms, have a way of revealing things. A little captain could be a big man on a ship when everything was smooth, but a big storm rolls in, it would reveal whether the guy knew what he was doing or not. Well, this storm, this big storm, revealed a whole lot about everybody on board. It did reveal a lot about the disciples, but most importantly, it revealed a lot about Jesus. And that's the point of this story, um, what it tells us about Jesus. And so, in this story, we have some questions, and I'll be the title of the message, Questions at Sea, because these questions help us to understand why this is in the story. I mean, I like the, the story. It's one of my favorites, um, but it's more than just a wild story at sea. There, there's a reason for this. And these questions help us understand what the point is. And so we're going to look at the fear that they had in the sea, first of all, and just think about what happened here. And then we're going to look at those four questions that were asked. And we'll see that faith will be the answer to the questions. So Jesus had a big crowd earlier in chapter 4. Jesus had a big crowd gathered on the seashore to, to hear him preach. He began preaching in parables and then revealing the answers, not to everyone around, but to the disciples. The mystery of the kingdom was given to his disciples. And so to preach to the multitude, he got up on the ship and used that as a platform so the people could hear him and listen to him. So after a long day of preaching to this multitude, he told the disciples, let's shove off from the side, let's shove off and go to the other side of the sea. So they wrap things up, the people go home, the disciples shove off, and they're heading across the lake, across the sea. It says there's other little ships, and I think maybe that this is a little bit of foreshadowing. And if you know Psalm 107, then maybe this would get you thinking a little bit. It says in verse 23, they that go down into the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of God, his wonders in the deep. 
For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the, the waves thereof. They shove off and there they go. It's in the evening time. Maybe getting close to dark. They're heading out into the deep waters. Well, somewhere along the way, a great storm blew in, a great storm of wind. The storm just came out of nowhere. And what can you do when you're out in the ship far from land and a big storm comes? Samuel Johnson said being in the ship is being in a jail with the added chance of being drowned. There's nowhere you can go. You're, you're, you're trapped in that ship. And there's nowhere you can go. There's nothing you can hang on to except the ship that's being tossed about. There's no place to go. Nothing to do but try to endure. The shelter that you're in is rocking. and Sometimes no more mercy than at mercy at the winds and the waves. A mistake at sea can send you all the way down the bottom. It's a life and death situation. They don't have GPS. They didn't have electric motors. They were relying upon their skill, but even their skill couldn't save them if, if the wind became too fierce. It was so bad that these experienced sailors were fearing for their life. The guys that did this for a living were afraid. It was their boat. They do it every day. And they're afraid they're going to perish. I read one sailor said, he's an experienced sailor, he said, I don't know who named him Swells. He said, there's nothing swell about it. He said, they should have named them Awfuls. Well, these swells of the sea were coming up over the ship, and the wind was blowing so hard that the waves were coming up and smashing down into the ship, and, and it was, they were afraid that it was going to capsize the ship or even fill it up and they drown. It seemed like they were all going to die. The wind was blowing so hard. They probably had to pull up the sails and just let the wind take them where it will because if you have your sails up and the wind's blowing, it'll, it'll flip you over. They were taking in water. Imagine that. Late in the evening, it might be dark outside. You can't hardly see. The wind is blowing. The waves are crashing down. You try to go to one side of the boat and a wave hits you and it knocks you down. You're hanging on for dear life. Soaked to the bone. Not knowing which direction are you going. Are you going north? Are you going south? Are you upright? They were in danger. One of the men in the panic went for Jesus and was probably more than a little shocked when they saw him laying on a pillow fast asleep. Here they are thinking that it's the end. When the men finally, we better go to Jesus. And there he is asleep. They woke him up and said, you care that we're about to die, right? Jesus, wake up. Things are really, really bad. So he arose. What's he going to do? I don't know what the disciples wanted him to do. Maybe they wanted him to help. Maybe they wanted him to pray. I don't think they wanted him to do what he did that never entered their mind. He didn't help. He didn't grab a bucket. He didn't grab a rope. He rebuked the wind. 
He said, peace, be still. So if they were shocked that Jesus was sleeping in the boat through this storm, I know they were shocked when they realized his plan was to chastise the storm and tell it to stop. They, they, no, there's no way they would have thought that that was his plan. Jacob and I, last year, we were out swimming in the ocean, and we went out, and we were sitting about chest deep, and I told him, I said, here comes a big wave, tell it to stop before it gets to us. And we did, we told that wave to stop, but it didn't listen to us. It hit us and it rolled us up on the beach. Because we were just talking about how strong the waves are, and how much power those things have. Even just normal waves at the edge of the beach have power that can knock you down. And we thought, what power it is for someone to say to a wave, stop. And it just stops. And it listens to you. But if we really thought that we could have stopped the waves and not just being silly thinking about this story, it would have been a great pride. Antiochus Epiphanes, the terrible, wicked, Hellenistic Syrian ruler, um, is a great enemy to the Jews. And prior to the time of Christ, in 2 Maccabees, it describes his pride. It says, Howbeit he nothing at all ceased from his bragging, but was filled with pride, breathing out his rage against the Jews. A little fore thought he, he might command the waves of the sea, so proud was he beyond the condition of man. So the Jews who, who wrote this said that he was so proud, he was beyond the condition of man that he, he thought that he could tell the he could control the seas. Nobody can tell the uh, ocean wave to stop. No one can tell a storm to quit blowing. They went and woke Jesus up with a rebuke because he was asleep. And it's kind of ironic, the disciples later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, pray with me. And then they fell asleep. But here they woke Jesus up. Jesus do something. And he arose and rebuked the storm. Told the storm to calm down. Told the storm to quit blowing. And that's exactly what happened. It just stopped. Waves don't stop crashing just because the storm passes by. He didn't go tell it to calm down, then slowly the wind stopped blowing, and slowly after a little while the waves quit, just like at the normal end of a storm. That's not what it says. At his word, at his command, he said, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Not only did the wind stop blowing, but the sea became calm. What mighty power to command that the wind and the sea stop, but also, most importantly, that it obeys. The wind obeyed him. The seas obeyed him. What a miracle. And now, the disciples there in the calm sea, just moments before the, the crashing of the waves and the sound of the wind, imagine how loud that would have been with the wind blowing and the, the waves crashing against the boat and the water roaring because of the storm, and then just silence and still. You ever been out on the river whenever it's calm? 
We're out on the lake when, it, when it's calm and still. It's very peaceful, isn't it? Well, all of a sudden, it went from a raging storm to that peace. Quiet. Disciples probably picking their jaws up off the ground. Now the peril's over. Jesus said, why are you guys so fearful? How is it you don't have any faith? And Jesus apparently just turns around and goes back and leaves him there to stew on these questions a while. Imagine that. It's all peaceful. Jesus just did what they could have never conceived of happening. And he said, what's wrong with you guys? Why are you acting like cowards? Why don't you have any faith? And probably turns around, goes back, and lays down again. And I say that because the disciples start talking amongst themselves. And they said, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the seas obey him. What kind of person, what kind of man can command the wind and the seas? Well, that's the question, isn't it? What kind of man can do this? That's the, that's the question Mark has for us. In fact, there's four questions in this, in this little story. There's four questions, but no answers. I don't know if you noticed that. In verse 38, Jesus, they asked Jesus a question. And then in verse 40, Jesus asked two questions. And in verse 41, the disciples ask themselves some questions, but we don't get any answers. Four questions and no answers. So Jesus asks those questions to the disciple and turns around and leaves them, and he wants them to stew on it a little while. And I think that's what uh, Mark wants us to do. We're left with these four questions without the answers because we're supposed to stew on it a little while. We're supposed to come up with the answers ourselves. We're supposed to stop and think about these four questions and then think about what this says about Jesus. What's the answer to those four questions? Well, let's think through them. The first question was, does Jesus care? Now, that was a harsh accusation because, but why did they ask the question? It's funny, Jesus doesn't answer them. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus didn't say, Oh, my disciples, don't you know that I love you so much? Don't you know? You should, you should know. He just ignores the question and then goes and calms the sea. He, first he rebukes the sea, then he rebukes the disciples. But this question is just left hanging out there. Why did the disciples, why did they, they think that he not care? Well, he wasn't acting like they were acting. Or he wasn't doing what they thought he should be doing in the boat. So we have a scene here with Jesus asleep in the middle of this big storm and the disciples in a panic. So it's Jesus and his actions versus the disciples and theirs. And the disciples rebuked Jesus, it would seem, because they didn't think Jesus was doing the right thing. Jesus, you're laying down there asleep. You care about us, right? So how can you be there asleep? Jesus wasn't meeting the expectations of the disciples. The disciples thought that they were doing what was right. And so what's that say about them thinking about what Jesus was doing? Now, it could be that they come knowing that Jesus could pray and to help. But Jesus' questions back to them show that 
I don't think that's the case. I think it was a faithless panic, a, a, a cowardice even, that, that caused them to lose heart. But what does it say about Jesus that he slept? Well, first of all, it shows us he had a true humanity. Why did Jesus sleep? Well, he slept because he was tired. Human beings need to sleep. Jesus was a man who had been teaching all day, and it was nighttime, and he was wore out. And so he slept. You and I can't go without sleep. And when you do go long periods of time without sleep, you know why we can't go without sleep. Now, sometimes situations will happen where you have to be awake for a very long time, but you and I both know that it just takes it out of you, mentally and physically. We're made to where we have to sleep. So this shows Jesus' true humanity. It also shows his trust. Jesus in his humanity had perfect trust. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever laid in bed at night and worried about something? You ever tossed and turned, worried about what is going to happen the next day? Worried about a family member? Worried about a call from a doctor? Worried about your job? Worried about how you're going to pay a bill? And you toss and you turn because you don't know what's going to happen and you can't sleep? You ever worried about... uh, Something that just keeps you awake all night? Well, Jesus was a true man. But we see his true humanity, his true perfect humanity, and true and perfect trust. That which is not assumed is not healed. And so Jesus was in a situation that required his trust. And so Jesus lived for us. And here we have a perfect man in this situation. And his rest is showing that he had a perfect trust. In Psalm 3, in verse 5, I'm going to read three Psalms and a proverb. So Psalm 3 and 5. It says, I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. David said he could lay down and go to sleep because while he's asleep, while he's unconscious to the world, while he doesn't know what's going on around him, while enemies could come and sneak up on him, he said, I'm going to lay down and sleep and I'm going to trust in the Lord because the Lord's going to keep me. I can sleep because I trust. Then he says, arise, O Lord, as if the Lord was, was, was setting down. He said, save me. So hang on to that thought in just a minute. Psalm 4 and verse number 8. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. He could sleep because he trusted the 121st Psalm, verse Number three, Psalm, the 121st, in the third verse. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. 
Jesus, is, Jesus could sleep in perfect trust in, in that his father would keep him, that he was, he was safe. So as a human man, he lived in perfect trust. He lived in scenarios that we live in where we have to lay down and sleep in trust. And last one, Proverbs 3.26. Or 3.23, rather. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and he shall keep thy foot from being taken. So this is what a wise man looks like. This is what a true and perfect man looks like. You say, well, that's not how a man would act. No, that's how a perfect man does act. That's how a true man with perfect trust would act. And so that's what shows us about this scenario, that Jesus trusted and so Jesus was truly man, but he was also truly God. And the fact that he could sleep in the storm shows both his perfect humanity, but I also think it shows his, his divinity. And this is what Mark is showing us. So we see his humanity as he sleeps, but his sleeping also, and then the calming, or the calming of the storm also, these things combined show us his divinity. Early on in Mark, we've seen Jesus' authority. He had authority to call his disciples. He had authority in the temple. He had authority to preach. He had authority to cast out demons. He had authority to heal sicknesses with his word. Now Mark is coming back to those themes, and we'll find that here and then in chapter 5, where Jesus has power. He has power over the elements. He has power over demons. He has power to raise the dead. But it's just more amazing as we go on that as the book goes, we're learning more and more about Jesus. We're with the disciples as they're confused about things and they don't understand. So we're, we're right along with the disciples and we're seeing things that, that as they see them unfold. And here is Jesus asleep in the boat. Well, what's that telling us? Well, it's, a, it's revealing more, and thing, more things about him. We're seeing more and more revelation and more and more that you can trust Jesus. Let's turn to Isaiah 51. And I'm going to read this and we're going to come back to it in just a few minutes. So you want to hang out there for a minute. But Isaiah 51, in verse 9 and 10. This is not what the disciples were thinking, of course. But if we consider what the scriptures say and what we know already, we can see how the Old Testament is, is pointing us to Christ. Awake! Awake! Put on strength, O arm of the Lord, awake. As in the ancient days, in the generations of old, art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which hath dried the sea and the waters of the great deep, and that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? So Isaiah is saying, Awake, Lord, awake. Aren't you the one that dried the sea 
Aren't you the one that parted the waters? Aren't you the way, the one who made the ransom, the elect, the chosen of God? God's people passed through the sea to walk on dry ground. And so, if, you, if you've been paying attention, you know that Mark alludes to Isaiah a whole lot. And I think maybe we're supposed to think about this. There is Jesus asleep. Isaiah calls for Jehovah to awake, to arise. Not that Jehovah sleeps, but it's a call. Come and save us. We're in peril. We trust in you. We trust in your promises. Come, come and save us. So the answer is, does Jesus care? Jesus came to this earth not to ride around in boats, but to give himself a ransom for his people. He could not perish. He came to die for his people. So yes, he cares. The very fact that Jesus was there is proof that he cares. The fact that he was there to live for them and die for them with them at this moment, that he has called them, that he's revealing himself uh, to them, that he has given unto them the mystery of the kingdom, that he had come to pay for the sins of his people. Yes, he cares. And there, questioning Jesus is just a revelation on their side that they don't really fully understand what Jesus was there to do. That's the first question. The second question was, Jesus said, ask him why you're so afraid. And that word, fearful, um, it's not in a reverential awe, or it's not being shocked about something, but being cowardly, timid. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the wise man in the storm praised to God, not for safety from danger, but from deliverance from fear. The disciples would have been well to pray that prayer that God would deliver them from being afraid and trusted in God. The reason being is God knew where they were at. Jesus told them to go to the other side. Jesus knew where they were at. A great One sailor said, a great storm is like a sunny day to a person of great faith. A gentle wind is like a great storm to a person of great fear. The problem was their fear, not the wind. They thought they were going to die. They thought they were without hope. But were the disciples safer now that the wind had stopped than before? Were the disciples now safe? Because the wind stopped blowing, but they weren't safe prior to that. Why are you so fearful? Well, Jesus doesn't give us the answer, so we have to figure that out. Just like the disciples had to figure out, why were they so afraid? Why do people get afraid? Why did Abraham and Isaac both pretend their wives were their sisters? And let him get taken captive. Well, they did that because they were afraid they were going to die. Why did Abraham give in to Israel when they demanded an idol and make him a golden calf? Well, he feared the people. He's afraid what they'd do to him. 
Why did the ten spies come back and give a bad report over the land of Canaan? Then why did Israel listen to the ten spies and not listen to Joshua and Caleb? Because they were afraid of who was over there on the other side. They were afraid they were going to die. Why did Goliath sit down there in the valley and taunt Israel day after day after day and no man go and fight him? Because they're afraid they're going to lose. Goliath would kill him. Why did 20,000 of Gideon's army, when facing the Midianites, turn around and go home? When God told them to go and fight, why did they get there on the borderland of the battle and turn around and go home? Because they was afraid of what the Midianites would do to them. There's too many of them. They're too powerful. They're going to die. People get afraid when you're facing the possibility of a bad outcome. Now, it's natural to, to have fear. It's natural to dread the outcome of something bad. That's natural. That, that's part of being a human being. But what we're talking about is when people got to that point and they turn around. And that's what the disciples did. It wasn't that the waves crashing down upon them, they were supposed to sit in some um, stoic state and not show any sign of emotion. But this kind of fearfulness, this kind of cowardice is whenever that, when that rises up, then you just give up all hope and you turn tail and run. It doesn't mean that you can walk up to Goliath and not have any trepidation, but, but what it does mean is you don't run away from Goliath or you don't run away from the Midianites or you don't sell your wife out so you don't get killed. I mean, that's what Abraham and Isaac did, right? They, they were afraid they were going to die and so they just sold their wife out and let her face the consequences so they could be safe. This cowardice is in a list of sins in Revelation 21 that includes unbelieving, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, and idolaters who all have their part in the lake of fire. It's a terrible sin. But if you're still in Isaiah 51, let's read a little bit more. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, awake, as in the ancient days. Verse 10, Art thou not it which has dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that have made the depths of the sea away for the ransom to pass over? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing upon Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou, that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the Son of Man, which shall be made as grass. Awake, Lord. We're in trouble. Awake. Well, what's the Lord say? I am He. I am He that comforts you. I'm the one that keeps you. Why should you be afraid? Why should you be afraid of a man that's going to die? Why should you be afraid of a storm that is in my control? I parted the waters of the Red Sea. Why should you be afraid of anything? If I promise that I have you and I'm going to keep you, then why should you be afraid? We're not to fear because God, even God comforts us. 
over in chapter 57, verse number 11. So the people of God are not to fear because God is with us. And whom hast thou been afraid or feared that thou hast lied and not remembered me nor laid it to thy heart? Have I not held my peace of old and thou fearest me not? Why were they fearful? Because they forgot the Lord and didn't lay those truths to their heart. The situation had become bigger than God and they had forgotten who God is and what God had promised them. Moses was reiterating in Deuteronomy 1 about the ten spies where they came back and gave a false report about what the promised land looked like and Joshua and Caleb said, no, that's not it. God gave us the land, let's go. And the people rose up. Well, listen to what Moses said. Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the son of the Anakims there. Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you, according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. What happened? The Israelites were afraid to go into the land because they heard the report that they have walls that go all the way up to heaven. The people are 10 foot tall and bulletproof, and, and they, they're monsters in the land, and we don't have a chance. And they, their knees started knocking and said, well, yeah, I don't think so. I can't fight somebody uh, that big and tall. I can't climb over a wall that goes to heaven. We have no chance. We're all going to die. Why would you lead us out here to kill us, Moses? We're all going to die. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back at least where we, where we had a place to, to be slaves. At least we're just going to live. The Israelites were afraid to go into the land because... They took more heed to the report of the ten spies and the size of the men than the promises of God, the report of Joshua and Caleb, and the size of their God. They they weren't trusting. That's why they were afraid. Joshua 1.9, God told Joshua, Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage? Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So what's the key to that? Have not I commanded thee? Why should Joshua be brave and not be afraid? Well, because the Lord commanded him. God said, I'm going to be with you. This is what I want you to do. So go do it. And he tells him a couple times in Joshua 1, don't be afraid. You're going to go in with an inexperienced army. You're going to go in with people who uh, are are going to uh, try to back out. All these days, don't be afraid, Joshua. Trust in me. Trust in me. Why is it that Abraham and Isaac were afraid and, and Aaron gave in to the Israelites? Why is it the people gave in to the spies? Why is it the people got scared and not fighting Goliath? Why is it the 20,000 of Gideon's army went home? Why is it the disciples were scared in the boat? What is it that they needed? Yes, we know they were afraid, but, but why? Why are you so fearful? That's what Jesus asked. Why were they so fearful? Well, I think Jesus' next question helps us to answer the first one. 
Why are you so afraid? Why don't you have any faith? These two things are related one to another. Their fear was looking at the wind and the waves, and they didn't want to die. They didn't want to go under. They didn't want to drown. They were terrified. There was nothing they could do. Everything was hopeless. They had given up to the point where they tell Jesus, I don't think you care about us because we're all going to die. They were afraid because they had no faith. They were afraid they were going to die. They were afraid because the situation had become bigger than their God. They needed to have rightly understood who was in the boat with them. They should have known they were safe with Christ. They should have believed that he was in control. They should have trusted him as he commanded them to go to the other side of the sea. He should have, they should have trusted him to keep them. So why did Jesus tell them they had no faith? So well, they're following Jesus everywhere he goes. They were listening to him preach. Jesus told them to get in the boat, go to the other side. They got in the boat and they were going to the other side. How can they not have any faith? Well, let's define faith. Well, can you define faith? If I said, what are, what are the elements of, of faith? What would, what would you say? Well, Wednesday night, I said Solomon said the cats were better than dogs. So if, uh, if you were here Wednesday, you know that uh, what Solomon meant, the cats were better than dogs. But what do you think? What do you think? Well, I'm still in this from Mike Avendroth, but it'll help you remember what faith is. Think of a poorly spelled cat, K-A-T, cat. That's the elements of faith. Knowledge is the K, knowledge. The A is ascent. And the T is trust. So that's what makes up faith. Because you can't really have faith if you don't have those three things. So if, if you want to think about what faith is, just remember that poorly spelled cat. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is not doing works. The disciples did what Jesus said, but that, that's not the same thing as having, having, uh, having faith. Faith first comes from the knowledge of God, knowledge of God through Christ. That's the first part. How can you believe in somebody you don't know? How can you have faith in Christ if you don't know the God of the Bible? How can you have faith in Christ if you have a false Christ? So first of all, you have to know Christ, and you have to at least have a sufficient knowledge of fundamental truths of the Bible. You don't have to know everything. I don't know everything. No one knows everything, but you do have to know who know some fundamental truths. So first, you have to know Christ. Second, you have to assent to those truths. Burkhoff said that's the emotional element. It's truth that grips the soul. It's a strong conviction that that truth is real. It's, anybody can say they believe in Jesus. I mean, it's easy to say that. And the scripture tells us who he is right here. It's easy to, to confess it. But assent is that conviction that you know it's true. And trust is that personal trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's kind of easy for me to stand up here and say the disciples shouldn't have had, should have had faith in that boat. But I don't know what I would have done if I was out in that boat. 
So knowledge can be me standing up here and saying the disciples should have done this. And I believe they should have done that. But trust would be me in that boat trusting in the Lord, right? So those are the three things that you have to have. Knowledge, assent, and trust. You have to have knowledge of the truth. You have to have conviction that it's true. And then you have to have trust that it's true for you. So Jesus said they had no faith. Now let's think about that question. Why were the disciples afraid? Why were they afraid? Why did they say that Jesus didn't care? Why were they afraid? Why didn't they have any faith? What were they lacking? Well, let's go to the last question, and then this will tie it all together, hopefully. They marveled, and they said, What manner of man is this? What kind of man can calm the sea and command the waves? What kind of man? So that tells us, this, this helps us answer the previous three questions. What, kind, what manner of man is this? What is it that in the, the elements of faith, what is it first that we can see that they were lacking? Jesus said they didn't have any faith. So what were they deficient in when they said what manner of man was this? They were deficient in their knowledge of Christ, weren't they? They were deficient in who Jesus was. Christ has now revealed himself to them in a way, in a way they didn't previously know. They were afraid because they lacked faith, and they lacked faith because they didn't truly understand who was in that boat with them. Faith in Christ consists in knowing him, and believing in him, and trusting in him. Even for you, dear believer, that Jesus preached in parables, but he gave understanding to the disciples. And Jesus left the multitude, and we see the disciples seeing only this revelation of divine power. Jesus didn't calm the storm while he was in the, the, the seaside where everybody could saw it. He went out to where no one else could see it, except his disciples, and showed his people his power. This passage is ultimately a revelation of Jesus as the Christ, as the Lord of glory, as the Son of Man, as the Savior, as the Word made flesh, as truly God and truly man. This passage reveals to us that Jesus was not just a good teacher. He was not just an exorcist. He was not just a, a great storyteller. He was not just a healer of men. Jesus was God in the flesh. You notice Jesus didn't calm their fears by calming the sea. The disciples were more afraid after the sea was calmed. They were in awe. He was more than a teacher and a miracle worker. Jesus did something here that only God could do. They were afraid because they didn't have a a right view of Jesus Christ, the God-man. They didn't have their minds in the right frame of mind looking at Jesus as the one who could calm the sea. From our perspective, we get to see what happened in the boat. And you have knowledge of the true Christ now. You now can answer that question, what manner of man is this? 
It's not just a, another teacher. He did something only God can do because he is God. And so our knowledge of Christ lends us to have a firm conviction this morning. So if I can ask you, if you're worried about something this morning, and I tell you to trust in the Lord, you now know what kind of Lord you're trusting in. You know that he is one that can calm the seas. And you can have a firm conviction. And you say, I believe that for myself. I can assent to that truth. And I can trust him. You can trust him. And if you have faith, then why are you afraid? Why are you worried? Why do you doubt? Why is your faith lacking? And you can ask yourself those questions. Why is it that you have little faith? Why is it that you're so afraid? And you can say, well, what manner of man am I following? Who am I trusting in? Who am I believing in? Do I believe that these outside things are bigger than my God? Or do I believe that my God is the one who parted the Red Sea? Who does not slumber or sleep? Who can chastise a storm and it'll stop? Who can heal the sick? Who can raise the dead? That's why theology and doctrine are so important and practical. Knowing Christ should be the highest priority to you. Because when you know God and you know Christ and know who he is as he has been revealed and not like we want him to be, the disciples had it at Jesus like they wanted, that, was, that they didn't want him down there asleep in the boat. But afterwards, they realized, oh, he, he's not who I thought he was. Well, maybe you fear. Maybe you doubt. Because Jesus isn't, like, isn't really like you think he is. Maybe you need to know Christ more and go to the scriptures more and learn more of him and who he is and what he's promised. Paul said he counted all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ the righteousness which is by, of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Knowing Christ will give us courage and strength to follow him and give us trust that we don't have to be undone and panicked, but rely upon him and trust in his promises. So if you're in doubt, what should you do? If you're afraid, what should you do? If you're anxious, what should you do? Try harder? Work harder? Get the oars out of the boat and start rowing harder? Is that what the disciples should have done? Get to the other side by any means necessary to prove to Jesus that you love him? What do the disciples need to do? They need to trust in Jesus. They needed to have confidence in him and not question whether or not he cared. Of course he cared. And not doubting that he's going to take care of him. Care of him. Of course he was going to take care of him. He wasn't going to forsake him. He wasn't going to leave him out to die. He has promised. Know Christ. 
know his promises, believe them, assent to those truths, and then have trust in them. And live your life not in fearfulness, but with, with, with strength and, and trust. Because the manner of man we believe in is the Lord God Almighty, God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ.